Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station. On today's edition of Pathway to Victory. We cannot prevent temptations from coming into our life, but what we can do is create an atmosphere in our spiritual life that is inhospitable to sin. We can make sure that when Satan and his demons try to tempt us, that they realize they are unwelcome and they move on to someplace else. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffress. You know, whether you're sitting at your desk at work or maybe relaxing at home in the evening, temptation is lurking around every corner. So how can we prepare for those times of vulnerability and stop Satan in his tracks? Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress explains how to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome again to Pathway to Victory. On this Tuesday edition of the program, we're addressing an issue that touches every single life, including yours. Defending ourselves against Satan's attacks require that we leave absolutely no space for him. As a pastor and your Bible teacher, let me say that I'm constantly surprised at how many Christians allow themselves to dabble in temptation. Rather than run from any semblance of evil, I find many Christians willing to try out or accommodate dangerous activities. During today's message, I'll use Scripture to expose the folly of flirting with sin. And in my best-selling book, The Divine Defense, I'll equip you with God's promises for complete victory over the enemy's attacks. There's still time to request your copy of my book, The Divine Defense, Six Simple Strategies for Winning Your Greatest Battles. This book comes with my thanks when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory. And as an added bonus, I'll also send you a resource called Equipped for Battle. It contains seven strategies for Ephesians 6, providing biblical instruction on how to defend your life against spiritual attack. Now, I'll say more about these resources later, but right now it's time to get started with today's message titled, Putting Out the Not Welcome Mat. Several years ago, I had the opportunity to meet uh, Jordan Rubin, the author of the best-selling Christian diet book called The Maker's Diet. Some of you may remember that New York Times bestseller. We were in Atlanta to appear together on the same uh, television program, and so we were sharing a cab to the television studio, and as we whizzed along the freeway there in Atlanta, I thought I might be able to get some free medical advice from Jordan. So I explained to him a dilemma that I had every winter and wanted to see if he had any advice. It seems every winter, some well-meaning but disease-infected church member um, wants to communicate their warm feelings through a handshake. I mean, what else do you do with an outstretched hand? So I shake the hand, and then I run and try to wash it as quickly as I can and so forth. And I said, invariably, I would catch a cold. The cold would turn into a bronchial infection, and I would lose my voice for a week. Happened every year. And so I asked Jordan if he had any suggestions for me. And he thought about it, and he said, well, you know, Robert, the truth is you'll never be able to prevent yourself from being attacked by germs unless you want to isolate yourself from everyone and everything. But what you can do is create an environment in your body that is inhospitable to germs. Through certain hygiene habits, diet, exercise, 
You can make germs feel unwelcome in your body. When they try to gain entrance and they realize they're not welcome, they'll flee and set up residence in a more friendly environment. As I listened to him explain that, I thought, you know, there's a spiritual analogy there for all of us. The fact is, we cannot prevent temptations from coming into our life. I mean, the fact is, we have a powerful adversary, Satan, and his demons who are doing everything they can to attack us from without. And if that were not enough, we have a fallen nature inside of us that even though its power has been destroyed, its residue is still there, and it stirs up temptation from within. We cannot prevent temptations from coming into our life. But what we can do is create an atmosphere in our spiritual life that is inhospitable to sin. That is, by certain spiritual practices, we can make sure that when Satan and his demons try to tempt us, that they realize they are unwelcome and they move on to someplace else. I like to call it putting out the not welcome mat at the entrance to your heart. Paul calls it putting on the breastplate of righteousness. And that's what we're going to talk about today as we continue our series on spiritual warfare. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Remember when Paul wrote these words, he was under arrest in Rome, chained to a different Roman guard every six hours, And to pass the time, as Paul sat there with that Roman guard, he noticed the armor that the guard was wearing. And he thought, you know, the same pieces of armor that the soldier utilizes to give him victory in his battles against his adversaries, these same pieces of equipment are available in a spiritual sense to Christians to win their battles against their adversary. And so in this passage, Ephesians 6, he uh, describes the six pieces of armor, the six strategies, if you will, that can defeat Satan's plan to destroy your life. Now, we talked about the first one last time. Look at verse 14 of Ephesians 6. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. That's talking about the belt of truth. Uh, Remember, the Roman soldier would take that loose-flowing tunic and tuck it into the belt so that he wouldn't trip up. And in the same way, we need to recognize loose thoughts that come into our mind that might give the enemy an unfair advantage, that might cause us to trip up ourselves. We need to take those loose, wrong thoughts and confront them with God's Word. That strategy is to recognize destructive thoughts and replace them with God's thoughts. That's what it means to put on the belt of truth. Now we come to the second strategy, the second piece of armor. He says, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, what is the breastplate of righteousness? For the Roman soldier, a breastplate was essential in battle. It was a large piece of molded metal that was put over the torso to protect the soldier's vital organs, the lungs, the heart, the bowels. And in the same way, Paul says, we need to make sure before we go into battle with the enemy that we have that protection for the essential parts of our life, our mind, our hearts, our will. We need to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, next week, we're going to talk about exactly how we do that, how we put on that breastplate of righteousness. But first, we need to understand what Paul means when he talks about the breastplate of righteousness. What kind of righteousness is Paul talking about? Now, folks, this is key to understand, not only for this passage, but to succeed in your Christian life. 
There is so much confusion, even among Christians, about this term righteousness that it causes some people to think that we're saved by good works, other people to think we're saved by good works and uh, faith in Christ. It causes a great deal of confusion because people don't understand that this term righteousness is used in three different ways in the Bible. And you have to understand what the writer has in mind when he talks about righteousness. The first way that the Bible sometimes uses righteousness is to describe self-righteousness. Sometimes when the Bible talks about righteousness, it's talking about self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is what a non-Christian engages in to try to earn God's approval. Self-righteousness is man's attempt to earn God's favor through good works. Now, what does God think of the good works of a non-Christian? How does he view uh, the non-Christian's efforts to feed the poor and to clothe the naked and to, to be kind and loving to other people? How does God view those kind of works? Well, let's let God speak for himself. Look at Isaiah 64, verse 6. God says, for all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. And all of us wither like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. Well, pastor, what about this man? He may be a non-Christian, but he gave a billion dollars to build a new hospital. God says it is a filthy rag in his sight. Oh, but pastor, what, what about this man who gives of his time and his wealth to feed the hungry and to clothe the naked and to, to house the homeless? What about him? Filthy rag, God says, in my sight. But pastor, what about this man? He, he's not a Christian, but he, he, he loves his wife. He's faithful to her. He rears wonderful children. What about him? God says, a filthy rag in his sight. That's how God views self-righteousness. It's obvious then when Paul talks about putting on the breastplate of righteousness to protect ourselves against Satan's attacks, he's not talking about self-righteousness, is he? And that leads to the second way the word righteousness is used in the Bible. Sometimes it refers to imputed righteousness. Imputed righteousness. The word impute is a financial term that simply means to put into someone's account. And that's what imputed righteousness is. It means the righteousness that God puts into your account on the basis of your faith in Christ. You see, when you trust in Christ as your Savior, there are two amazing financial or, if you will, spiritual transactions that occur. Not just one, but two. You see, when you trust in Christ as your Savior, the first transaction that takes place is God takes your sin and he credits it to Jesus' account. Jesus gets blamed for your sin. That's what happened when he died on the cross 2,000 years ago. Your sin was placed on his account. But that's just the first transaction. The second thing that happens is God takes all of the righteousness that belongs to Jesus and he deposits it in your account. And that's what 2 Corinthians 5, 21 is all about. Jot it down. Paul says, he, God, who knew no sin, became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You see, the Bible says all of us are sinners. And every time we sin, it's like 
a deduction from our spiritual righteousness account in God's eyes. Every sinful thought, every sinful action, there's a subtraction from our account. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Guess what? You and I, all of us, are in an overdrafted, overdrawn state. We're all in a deficit position before God. And in God's economy, you can't remain overdrawn in your spiritual bank account. Somebody has to make up for that deficit. Now, we have a choice. We can choose to pay for our deficit, for our overdrawn account, by spending all eternity in hell. We can pay for our sin. Or we can allow Jesus to pay for our sin. You see, when we trust in Christ as our Savior, what happens is uh, Jesus pays for our spiritual deficit. He who knew no sin becomes sin for us. Our sin is placed in his account. But that's not the only transaction that occurs. The Bible also says and, uh, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. God transfers all of the righteousness from Jesus' bank account into your spiritual bank account and my spiritual bank account. So not only are we just at a zero position, the deficit's been made up, but when God looks at you when you're a Christian, he sees your spirituality as full and running over with all of the righteousness that belongs to Jesus. And that's what Paul means. He made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin for you that you might become the righteousness of God in him. Now, this is a key point. It doesn't happen automatically. Uh, God doesn't automatically pay for everyone's sins. God doesn't automatically give everybody his righteousness. You have to agree to his terms. You have to say, God, yes, I want to be a part of this. I want to link my spiritual account to the account of Jesus Christ. I realize I'm in a deficit position before God. I want him to pay for my sins, and I want to receive his righteousness into my life. That's what it means when we talk about trusting in Jesus to be your Savior. Now, that's imputed righteousness. That's a pretty good deal, wouldn't you say? Pretty great transaction. But as important as spirit or imputed righteousness is, I don't think that's what Paul is talking about either. When he talks about put on the breastplate of righteousness. After all, if he's talking about imputed righteousness, that means all you need to do is trust in Jesus as your Savior. The moment you become a Christian, automatically that shield is put on you, and you never have to experience Satan's attacks again. Has that happened to anybody in this room? Is there anybody here who's a Christian who has gone through his Christian life without any attacks from the evil one? Anyone who's gone through his Christian life without ever sinning after he became a Christian? He's not talking here about imputed righteousness. There's a third kind of righteousness the Bible talks about, and that is practiced righteousness. Practiced righteousness. Practiced righteousness is a synonym for goodness or obedience. Practiced righteousness is our obedience to God once we become a Christian. It's the good works we perform after we are saved. Uh, Many times the Bible refers to it as fruit, spiritual fruit. Practiced righteousness is our obedience to God that is the result of God's imputed righteousness. What happens in our life after we're saved? I want you to hold your place here and turn over to Matthew chapter 7, verses 17 through 19, where Jesus talks about how practiced righteousness, obedience, godliness should be the result of our spiritual life. Jesus said, 
So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and is thrown into the fire. Simply put, Jesus is saying if a tree is alive, it's going to produce fruit. If it's not producing fruit, it's dead and needs to be cut down. Tying good works onto a life that is spiritually dead does not make somebody spiritually alive. You see, good works are important, but they're important not as a requirement for salvation, but as the result of our salvation. If you see, on the other hand, somebody who claims to be a Christian, James 2 says, but there are no good works in his life. If you see a Christian who has no interest in doing good works and obedience, then that person, no matter what he claims, is spiritually dead, Jesus says. The point is, good works are the result, not the requirement for being a Christian. And that's what Paul is talking about when he talks about practiced righteousness. It's the obedience that flows out of our relationship with God. Now, my apple tree analogy is pretty good, except it breaks down in one important point, okay? Apple trees don't have to work at producing apples. And an apple tree doesn't have to wake up in the morning and say, boy, I'm feeling sluggish. I need, I need three cups of coffee just to get the sap flowing today, you know? Apple trees don't have to do that. Apple trees naturally produce apples. But you and I, even as born-again Christians filled with the Holy Spirit of God, we still have to work at practicing obedience to God. It still requires effort. And the reason it takes effort is we face the stiff headwinds of an adversary who's out to destroy us, Satan and his demons. We still have the residue of that old nature within us. And so the Bible says we have to exert effort. We have to practice righteousness. Now think about this. Birds don't have to practice flying. Fish don't have to practice swimming. Babies don't have to practice crying. Those things come naturally. But producing good works, obedience on our part requires effort. And that's why over and over again, the Bible encourages us to practice righteousness. Listen to 1 John 3, verse 10. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. Or listen to Revelation twenty two eleven. Who will occupy uh, the new Jerusalem, the heavenly city? Let the one who does wrong still do wrong. Let the one who is filthy still be filthy. And let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness. And let the one who is holy still keep himself holy. Simply stated, when Paul talks about putting on the breastplate of righteousness, he's talking about exerting all the effort necessary to obey God in every part of your life. He's talking about obedience the breastplate of righteousness. Why is this important in spiritual warfare? Because, Paul says, putting that practiced righteousness in your life, obeying God in every part of your life, protects you against the attack of Satan. It makes your spiritual life inhospitable to temptation that wants wants to set up residence in your heart. Next time, we're going to look at four practical ways obedience to God protects us against the enemy's attack. I want to close with one final and important truth. 
Maybe you've seen in the media uh, this campaign launched by the Coalition for Reason, that atheist group. All over America, it's in New York City, but now it's come to Fort Worth, Texas. Have you read about these uh, signs they're putting on the Fort Worth buses? And their theme is, millions of Americans are good without God. Millions of Americans are good without God. The point is, you don't have to believe in God to be a good person. Millions of Americans love their families, pay their taxes, do good works without ever acknowledging God. By the way, I admit that's true. There are plenty of people out there doing plenty of good things without any relationship with God. But you know what? That campaign misses the whole point. The real question is not, can you be good without God? The real question is, can you be good enough without God? And the answer from God's word is a resounding no. You may be better than many people or most people, but see, the standard by which you and I are going to be judged is not other people. Our standard of judgment is the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. God doesn't grade on the curve. Unless you are as righteous and as perfect as Jesus Christ, you cannot enter into heaven. The Bible says, by that standard, all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And that's why we need a Savior. Ladies and gentlemen, you're going to hear a lot at this season about the coming of Christ into the world. Let me remind you, the reason God became flesh, Jesus Christ, and came into this world was not to show us how to live, not to teach us how to love other people. Those are all good things. But that is not why Christ came. His primary reason, he said, was to seek and save those who are lost, to give his life as a ransom for many. The reason Christ came was to die for your sins, to make up the spiritual deficit you and I have before God and receive the perfect righteousness he offers all who believe. And the moment you do that, you begin a relationship with God that begins right now and will extend throughout eternity. Maybe today is the day you will say yes to God and become a member of His family. Nothing would please us more than to know that you've accepted His invitation to begin a relationship with Him. Recently, someone from Ohio contacted Pathway to Victory and said, Dr. Jeffress, I got saved listening one morning to your program. And when it happened, tears started falling from my eyes. I continue to listen to Pathway to Victory on the radio every morning on my way to work. I have five of your books, and I've read them all twice. I pray your program will be around for a long time. Well, thank you so much for those encouraging words. And if you're among those who give financially to support Pathway to Victory, you can have every confidence that God is using your generosity to bring hope to the man or woman stepping forward to receive Him today as Savior. You are an important partner with us in this ministry. To say thanks for your generous gift today, I'll be sending you a copy of the book that parallels our current study. It's called The Divine Defense, Six Simple Strategies for Winning Your Biggest Battles. Look, when I speak privately with fellow Christians, they often confess their failures to me. Many times they feel caught in a vicious cycle of repeated sin and forgiveness. Whether it's anger, or irrational fear or loneliness, God doesn't want you to feel defeated by the enemy. 
My book, The Divine Defense, gives you the spiritual equipment to win your relentless battles. Let me send you a copy. It's yours when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory. David? Thanks, Dr. Jeffress. To request your very own copy of Dr. Jeffress's best-selling book on defeating Satan's plan for your destruction, contact Pathway today with a generous gift. Again, the book is called The Divine Defense, and you can call us toll-free at 866-999-2965, or even easier, go online to ptv.org. Now, when your gift is $75 or more, you're also welcome to request the complete CD and DVD teaching series for this month's study, also titled The Divine Defense. These two resources can be yours today when you call 866-999-2965 or go online to ptv.org. A lot of our listeners prefer to write. Here's the address, P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. That's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins. Join us again next time when Dr. Jeffress outlines six spiritual weapons or strategies that we can use to defeat Satan's plan for our destruction. That's Wednesday, right here on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas. Join Dr. Robert Jeffress on an unforgettable trip to Israel where Bible prophecy comes to life. You've read about places like the Mount of Olives where Jesus is returning one day and the plain of Megiddo where the final world battle will take place. Isn't it time to see these remarkable sights for yourself? Join us on the Pathway to Victory Bible Prophecy Tour of Israel April 25th through May 5th, 2023. And sign up before September 30th to receive an early bird discount. To learn more and to reserve your spot, go to ptv.org.